Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Morning, church. How are we doing, everybody? If you're new with us today, my name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here. Um, and uh, can you give it up one more time for my brothers-in-law who joined us and uh, helped us uh, with worship this morning? Yeah, uh, Sarah's entire family, my wife's entire family is ridiculously talented musically. Um, and so it felt really good knowing I was going to join that family. And they're like, you know, Sarah's other brother, he's an incredible musician. Her dad plays piano, her mom is a vocalist and like I came in the fold and I was like I <laughs> I talk right <laughs> like there uh, there wasn't uh, wasn't much meat on the bone there for them so hopefully my kids get uh, mom's genes and not dad's um, but uh, but this this morning um, we are we're really kicking off our brand new series it's called simple and we are unmasking I am unmasking this morning kind of the beginning of what we have been working on, what I have been working on for the past six months, what our staff has been working on for the past two or three months. Um, and that's what we do during the week. I know some of you are like, you guys only work on Sundays. When are you working on that? During the week, we do stuff as well. And so really for the past six months, I mean, our staff retreat that we went on a couple months ago, everything has been geared towards this. Uh, and, and really our goal is to just get back to who we are as a church, our mission as a church, our goal as a church, what it is that, that we want to be known for in our community. And so if you're here for the first time today, this is a great first day to be here because you'll, you'll, you're going to hear everything that we plan on doing. And if you don't like it, cool. There's tons of churches around here. Like go find one that you agree with and go do it. Um, but, but, but if you do agree with it, hey, like I said, it's a great time for you to be here. If you've been here for years, hey, most of this stuff isn't new. What we, our goal this morning is just to kind of package this in such a way that it's going to allow you to better articulate how it is that we go from people who are non-believers to disciples here at FBH. And so in order to do that, what we're going to do, I'm going to, we're going to do a little time warp. We're going to go all the way back to February 2020. It was like 30 years ago, okay? And so many of you remember what, when, what happened in, in, in March, but let's go to February and let's just talk about kind of the state of our church at that point, because at that point, I was about a year and a half in to my pastoral transition, right? Like I started, I was, I was the pastor there, and we had made a bunch of changes uh, that fall. And really, we did like a hard push into, into small groups. We unveiled our, our groundbreaking mission statement that's love God, love people, and serve the world. Like 90% of churches, that's their mission statement, right? Like, but that, like, and so we started gaining some traction, and it was exciting. You know, uh, uh, like around November, December of 2019, we were, you know, touching attendance numbers that we hadn't touched in five, six, seven years. You know, our kids' ministry was blowing up, like the good kind of blowing up, not the bad kind of blowing up. Like things were, things were moving, things were happening. And, and like I said, it was really, really um, exciting. And that took a ton of work, not just on the staff side. Okay, but, but to go from, for you guys, especially those of you who've been here for a long amount of time, to go from one pastor to having then an interim pastor and Pastor Jeff for 18 months, and, and Pastor Gary was here for 25 years or something like that, right? So for 25 years having one pastor, then having Jeff for 18 months, and then transitioning to like, who's this new guy and what, did it, like, what is it that he wants to do with the church and where are we going and all that stuff. Like that takes a lot of energy, a lot of emotional energy, a lot of change was required on your guys' part. And that was before the pandemic. And so like we changed everything from like, like on you in fall of 2019. We're like, cool, things are moving. You guys kind of got past it. And then the world decided to change everything on us in March, 2020. So you all as a congregation have probably endured more change than the vast majority of congregations did over the course of the last three years. And that takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of emotional energy. 
And so, so I'm not here, and again, we're going to re rewind now to, to March of 2020, and hear me. I'm not here to talk about the politics of the pandemic or anything like that. I'll leave that up to y'all's Facebook posts, okay? Because you guys do that enough. You don't need to hear that on, a, on Sunday morning, okay? But what I want to talk about over uh, about is is that over the course of that next year from from March and on we like many churches we had no clue what to do I don't know if you've ever heard a pastor say that before because we like to pretend like we have all the answers all the time but we had no clue what to do there was no handbook written from the Spanish flu early in the 1900s about how churches were supposed to function right the internet wasn't even thought of at that point and so it's like, we didn't know what to do. I remember actually the day that everything got shut down, I got stuck in like this massive group text with a whole bunch of pastor friends. And they were like, hey, what is it we're going to do? And it was really exciting at first. And then it turned into one of those texts. You're like, how do I get out of this group text, right? You guys have been there before. You're like, I'm stuck in here and I don't want to be here. But we were just like, hey, what are you guys doing? And these are churches of, you know, churches of 50, all the way of, of churches up to 5,000. And I'm talking to these different pastors and none of us had any clue what to do. Like I said, there were no books written on it. There's no way for us to be able to understand how it is that we were supposed to, to do things. Okay, and so like before, you know, when we were touching these great numbers, we had one service and it was great. And it was like, you know, for our kids program in, in December of 2019, I think we had like 547 people here, roughly, give or take a few, right? But that was awesome. We were like, hey, you know what's awesome? We're gonna do one service and we're gonna cram everybody in the same room, like 547 of you guys. And guess what? We won't even require masks because we didn't know about a pandemic at that point, right? The goal of church used to be like, hey, if it's standing room only, that's best case scenario for us. Right? Like that would be a goal. Like we want the rooms full. No one likes preaching to an empty room. No one likes hanging out in an empty room. It's not fun. Okay? But now all of a sudden, like this pandemic forces, hey, we're going to go to two services. Right? We're going to have to, we're going to split people up. We're going to spread people out. And so that, that day it got shut down. Actually, two days after it got shut down, I talked to Kyle. I was like, hey, Kyle, you have two weeks to be able to get live stream up and going. Like that's it. That's all we have. Can you do it? And he was like, you said three weeks? I said, no, I said two weeks. <laughs> and he's like, okay. So in 12 days, we were able to get it done and launched. And he, I, I had nothing to do with it, but he was able to do it. And it's not perfect and it's never going to be perfect. And hopefully you at home right now can hear me and I'm not echoing or anything like that. But let's be real. We're a medium-sized church doing our best to get you guys content, right? And so we got it up, and we got it running, and it was good. And then Jeff, we were trying to figure out how do we foster connection, and how do we make sure that, man, our people can, can continue to meet and be with one another. And so, like, we heard about this crazy new app called Zoom. And uh, some of you, like, that's a cuss word to some of you guys right now, right? You can't say Zoom with some of you guys being like, don't you dare say that. But, we, but, but we, we started these Zoom groups and like, hey, small groups, connect over Zoom. And we did groups that we put together over Zoom uh, that never even met in person. And like we just did our best to kind of continue to move the ball down the court. We had, um, as we found out that this, this virus was one of the, the biggest concerns uh, were for people over the age of 65. We're like, hey, let's put together a call list for anybody over the age of 65. Because that that's when they were like, hey, don't go outside, don't go be with anybody, like stay home all the time. And so, man, we wanted to make sure that people had milk and bread and toilet paper and just they were safe, right? And so we did that and, and those phone calls are still being made. The majority of them are still being made and largely has been taken over by our diaconate. But then we had our kids ministry and they did Zoom calls together and Zoom parties. And if you ever want to be stressed out, sit in on a kid's Zoom party. It is the worst, right? Imagine 30 kids in a room. That's overwhelming enough. Like no one wants any piece of that unless you want to serve in our kids' ministry, in which case it's a great idea. <laughs> but being on an online Zoom call where there's no teacher to be like, hey, shh, you need to be quiet. And oftentimes no parent sitting right next to them like, hey, shh, you need to be quiet. Like it is chaos and it is terrible. But we wanted our kids to be able to have something Right? And so we, we did kids Zoom parties and interact and, and all of those different things. And, and, and that year, for the last time, I hope, until Jesus comes, this campus was completely empty on Easter. It was weird. And me, like you guys, sat home with our families and I didn't have anywhere to wear my pastel shirt to. And we did an Easter egg hunt at home and like we did all of those different things. But it was just strange and it was, it was different. 
And as things dragged out then, we built a stage outside and began meeting outside in the dead of summer. And we were like, hey, if you come meet outside in 100 degrees heat, we'll give you a single bottle of water. Like that was some sort of incentive to come to church. But it wasn't incentive, really. It was just for your survival's sake. Like we didn't want to kill people off as they were coming to church. And so we did out church for church outside for months. And then uh, when it got too cold and too wet and we felt like the goalpost kept kind of moving as to when we were able to come back inside, but myself as well as the board decided it was time to come back inside. And we decided to go to two services and mask up. We're going to be around tables. Like we're doing all these different things. And I got to be honest, like we still had no clue what we were doing. And we were just praying and being like, God, tell us what it is that we're supposed to do. Tell us how it is that we're supposed to move forward. And I had no clue if any of you guys were going to show up. I was terrified, but you did. Thank you. I mean, some of you, some of you have just shown up recently and that's okay too. But you showed up and I was like, like our attendance was dwindling. Most people were still joining us online. I had no clue what to expect that first Sunday back inside. We didn't have kids ministry. So we had moms and dads here trying to do their best to like wrangle kids, but also listen to a message and also sing songs. But for some reason, kids think I'm boring. And so because of that, they were doing whatever it is they wanted to do while I was up here trying to bring the word. And slowly but surely, we continued to move forward, continue to move the ball down the court. And my anthem over the course of the past six months has been, hey, we want to do our best to give people as much normal as they can possibly have. That's been our anthem. That's been our goal. So you'll notice in the midst of the worst political season that I've ever been alive for, that we're still enduring even today, that we don't talk about that much here. Because I don't care about which political candidate you support. You know what I care about? I care about the fact that you know Jesus. Okay? And so that's what, we're, that's what we want to be about here. We want to be about simply just proclaiming Jesus and learning more about him. And I know that as we were walking through this entire thing, not everyone agreed with every decision that was made. But I do want you to hear, no decision was made in haste. No decision was made without prayer. And no decision was made, no major decision was made without me losing sleep at night. Ask my wife. We took this incredibly, incredibly seriously. And I think for maybe not the first time, but maybe the most impactful time, I realized that responsibility that was on my shoulders and our staff's shoulders as we did our best to move forward. And so because of that, over the last 18 months, we just wanted to keep our heads down. We wanted to encourage people in the word as much as we could. And we just kind of wanted just like, hey, congregation, we're just going to give you a hug right now. And like, it's going to be a long, awkward hug for a little bit of time, but it's time to let go of that hug church. And it's time for us to get back on mission and move forward into the world. Like that's, so that's what we're talking about today. Because church, I'm excited that, that, like I've said before, the, the Christian church is not about our comfort. You know, if you're here seeking comfort, you can find that in Jesus, and that's a very real thing. But the church itself, we are not here for your personal amusement. Okay? We're not here to make you feel good about yourself. We're here to proclaim Jesus and recognize the hope that's in him. So the Christian church is not about our comfort. It's not a cruise ship to enjoy my ties as you sell off, sell, sail off into the sunset of eternity or anything like that. The Christian church is actually a battleship. It's there to prepare people for battle in the real world. It's our responsibility to take the hurt of the world and, and put it through this Jesus filter for us to love them like he does. So we're very excited this morning. I'm very excited this morning to share with where we're going. If you've been a part of the church for a long time, a lot of this is going to be familiar to you. I am not breaking the mold this morning, okay? Nothing, if you've been a part of church, even this church for the past year, you'll be like, oh yeah, I know that stuff. But what, what we want to do is put it in a way that's palatable for you to understand. It's simple enough for you guys to understand what our discipleship process is at FBH. And then, so that's going to be this morning and in the next four weeks after that, we're going to do our best to break this down for you and tell you theologically why we think these different things are important. And beyond that, tell you uh, practically how these things are actually going to flesh themselves out in our church. So we good with that? Yeah, good. Okay. So as you walked in, you saw our mission or vision statement on the wall. If you didn't see it, get your prescriptions checked. They're massive. Okay. I know Jeff and I, no, Jeff painted them. I was going to say Jeff and I, I want to know part of that project. 
Okay? And so our, pro, our, our mission statement on the wall is love God, love people, and serve the world. And that, like that vision statement comes from two very famous passages in Scripture. The first is this. It's Mark 12, 28 to 33. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You're right in saying that God is one and there's no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. These are the two most important things. We just got done studying the book of Exodus where we talked about offerings and sacrifices and the law and like all of this stuff that was really, really important back then. And then we we come to a conversation that Jesus has with a man talking to him about the two most important commandments. And the guy's like, you know what, Jesus, you're right. Loving God and loving people is way more important than those things. It's way more important than those rules. It's way more important than those laws. It's way more important than those traditions. It's way more important than all of those things. Love God and love people. And so if you've been around church, like this shouldn't blow your mind. This is fairly straightforward church language. This is more important than any of those things though. And can I just say that loving people has gotten really difficult over the course of the last 18 months. Maybe the most difficult it's ever been in the history of the United States. Probably not the world, but definitely the United States, I would actually venture to say. Because there's deep-seated division. And not just division out in the world where we like to say, oh, it's out in the world and all that stuff, right? Because we're Christians and we use language that no one understands. Out in the world. There's division there. There's division on your your computer or your, your, your iPhone or whatever it is that you're viewing social media on. But most tragically and most heartbreaking, there's division in the middle of the church. And that's not okay. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, God, all of them, they talk about this idea of unity, the importance of unity in the midst of the church, and that is so important. And we're so divided that loving people is hard. It's incredibly difficult, but we are called to it, to love people even as we love our own bodies. But Jesus doesn't stop there with those two commands to love God and love people. He actually has a commission. He sends people in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where it says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is where we got the last part of our mission statement. The first one was love God, love people. This one is serve the world. We want to serve the world not just for the sake of serving the world, though. We want to serve the world for the sake of Jesus, right? Because social justice for the sake of justice is good. But social justice for the sake of Jesus is what you're called to. It's vastly more important. It's way more important. And that means we go into the world, we talk to others about Jesus, we serve the needs that they have, we serve other people in his name. We don't just serve them. That's why missions is still such a big deal here. And if you're new with us, you probably don't know that, that this summer we've actually sent two teams um, over our borders, one into Mexico and one into, one into Costa Rica. And uh, Jeff took those people out there into the world out there to just serve people and love people in in the name of Jesus. That's why half of our missions budget goes to international missions and the other half of our missions budget stays right here in our community. We want to make sure that we don't miss anybody and we can't fund everybody, obviously. Okay, but we want to do our best to, to, to serve the world both where we're at and then across the world to wherever it is that God is working over a border. So church, with these scriptures and, and with this mission statement, can I just say something, a word that we don't normally associate with church, we don't normally associate with, with where the church is headed, but, but church, I think it's time for us to get ambitious with our desire to change Kings County for the sake of the gospel. 
That word ambitious, it's weird. It feels like a business word. You know what I mean? Hey, you need to get ambitious about your sales report for Q4 or whatever. Like that's, that's more of the context that you would hear that word in. Okay, but I think it's the church's responsibility to indeed be ambitious for what it is that we have been called to do. Because what, church, what would it look like if we didn't in, just embrace the idea of our mission, didn't just embrace it theologically, we didn't just agree with it in our heads as we left, but if we, if we actually embodied that idea, if we embodied this mission, what would it look like? Because church, the, the, the time for the church to be ambitious in embrace is over. It's done. Like good ideas and niceties and like, yes, I agree with his theology on that. Like that's fine and that's good and I'm glad we agree on theology with one another. Okay, but the time for that is over. The state of the world calls for a church to not just embrace an ideology but to embody it. The church has to not only embrace disciple-making, but embody disciple-making. James K.A. Smith says this about, about that word. He says, the opposite of ambition is not humility. It's sloth, passivity, timidity, and complacency. We like to sometimes comfort ourselves by imagining the ambitious or, or prideful and arrogant that way, those of us who never risk, never aspire, never launch out into the deep get to wear the moralizing mantle of humility. But it's just often a thin cover for lack of courage, even laziness. Play it safe isn't humble. And I think that cuts deep in the church because we want to be nice, right? Like we want to be humble, like, hey, no, hey, let's hug, you know, hey, how you doing, brother, right? All of those things that we as Christians do, and there's good and there's nothing wrong with being nice to people. And we do it under the guise of like, oh man, he's so humble. What a humble guy, all that stuff. Can we just be okay with being ambitious about the gospel? Can we just be okay with saying, hey, I'm going to embrace and embody this idea? Because church, we don't have time to play it safe. We don't have time for false humility. We, church, need to be ambitious for the sake of the gospel. Because if not us, then who? If not the church, then who? And I'm not saying FBH, we're going to come riding in with some capes or anything like that. We're the heroes of the day because we're not. But the church, we are called to embody this. And like right now, like I know, like I'm, I'm pumped up, I'm ready to go, like adrenaline's flowing, two cups of coffee in, like I'm going to have to use the restroom after that, like I get this, okay, I get it. But, and, and even more so after this, because I'm energized and excited, there's going to be some of you who come up and are like, hey man, great word this morning. Gee, man, hey, you were, you were preaching it. Good job. That's fun. You know, my human side, my prideful side, hey, that's, <laughs> yeah, I killed it. Let's go, right? That's exciting. Okay, but can I just be honest? Like, if, if we agree, if we embrace this idea with our minds, like, that's good. And like I said, I'm glad with all of that theology. Okay, but can I just tell you that, that I'm less interested in whether or not you agree with me and I'm more interested in whether or not you're obedient to the gospel? Can we just sit in that for a second? Like, I'm way more interested in us embodying what, what the gospel tells us to do, what Jesus tells us to do as a church than I am with whether or not we agree on theology. And that's hard for some of us. That's hard for a lot of us. And don't get me wrong, continue to compliment me. But we need to be okay embodying this as a church, embodying this as believers. And let me tell you something, because oftentimes what we, what we think to ourselves is, oh, great sermon. Man, I learned so much this morning. Church, you don't need more education. You are the most learned group of believers in the history of Christendom. Even if you came, even if it's the first time that you've come to a church, you know more about Jesus and the gospel and most likely his birth and, and, and Christmas and Easter and all. You know more about that than the first 500 years of Christians knew, save the people who actually walked on the face of the earth with them. Knowledge is not the issue. Church, the, the issue today is not knowledge, it's obedience. John Maxwell, man, this guy has a, has a great quote. He says, many churches are educated beyond their obedience. Oof. 
That's a tough one. Many churches are educated beyond their obedience. They know so much stuff, and, and we have a desire to learn so much stuff that at some point we have confused the idea of education with being obedient to God. We've confused those somehow. And they go hand in hand. I'm not saying, hey, walk out of here and don't, do, don't learn anything else. Learn more stuff. But you got to be more obedient. Got to be more obedient. Because the modern church, like I said, we, we confused education and obedience. And they aren't the same thing. The Christian life is far more than, than creeds and convictions. The Christian life includes conduct and character. There's a famous pastor who said, your deeds must be consistent with your creeds. Right? That means, hey, whatever it is that you believe, you should also probably do it. I thought it was a cool quote, mostly because it rhymed. They have to be. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 6, 46? He said, and why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Hey, why do you call on me and not do what it is that I say? I think the modern church is saying, Lord, Lord. And we get here on Sunday morning, we're praising, and, and we're learning, and we're taking our notes, and we're in our Bible apps to make sure that streak stays alive that I know some of you are addicted to in the Bible app, right? Like, like we're doing all of those things, and then at the same time, we're just not doing what he says that we're supposed to be doing. The modern church is kind of like my dogs. They're not dumb, they're just really disobedient. And I'm not calling you dumb or dogs, so save that email. So the question then becomes, how is it that we're going to accomplish this? How are we getting back on track with making disciples so they can make more disciples? Because that's why we're here, right? Disciples make disciples. To become disciples, you know what disciples do? They make more disciples. They aren't, you know, the, the, the actual disciples, Jesus' disciples. You know, they weren't like anything special. Most of them are really dumb. You are definitely, most of you are definitely smarter than all of Jesus' disciples. But they just did what God told them to do. Look at Acts 4, 13 to 17. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. This is the Sadducees. This is the religious elite talking right here. They realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had what? Been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with those men? They asked. Everyone in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it, but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. If there should ever be a passage of encouragement for the church, if there should ever be a passage of encouragement for people who don't feel equipped to spread the gospel, this should be it. The Sanhedrin called Peter and John dumb. It says it right here in verse 13. They're unschooled, ordinary men. They're dumb people. But hey, man, they, you could tell they spent time with Jesus. And not only could they tell they spent time with Jesus, guess what? Man, like if we don't get them to shut up, we're in trouble. The world as they knew it was going to be in trouble. Not because Peter and John were incredible orators or smarter than anybody else or anything like that. They simply spent time with Jesus and were obedient to what he said. That's it. It's simple. It's not that difficult. But we have a way of just like overly, like overly making it overly complex over and over and over again. The world here in Acts, they didn't know what to do. And so church, if we both embrace this idea and embody the idea the world would be dumbfounded not because we're smarter than anybody else but because it would be obvious that you spent time with the creator of the universe who loved us enough to allow us to proclaim the hope of the world the church is god's plan a for the world god said hey you know how my name is going to be spread by other believers other people are going to know that, that you love me because of the way that you love one another church that's what Jesus had for them. So we want to make disciples who are obedient to Jesus here. And I want you to know this. So this is how we're going to do it. This is our playbook. Okay, you can put the first, first screen up there. If you're a note taker, this is where you need to take your notes this morning. If you're brand new, this is where we're going. 
the discipleship circle, everybody say, ooh. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. So this has been a ton of work for us to do. And, and, and again, this is nothing earth-shattering. Okay? This is nothing that is going to blow your mind in any way, shape, or form. I just want you all to know the direction that we are going as a church, and that direction is a circle. Okay? So the first thing that, that we are going to do to, to do our best to create disciples is this. We are going to do this. Have, next slide, and go. We're on it. First time guest. I know. I know. Some of you, mind's blown, Right? Some of you are like, wait, we're going to grow our church by getting people here for the first time? That's crazy, right? No, that's our goal, is for, to have people come into our doors for the very first time. And that's it. It's not profound. It's not crazy. But it requires us to be engaging. It requires us to be friendly. It requires us to be united and open-handed with our traditions, maybe. Right? The Apostle Paul reminds us that we have freedom to do whatever we want to do short of sin, but that doesn't mean we should do anything we want because it could be a stumbling block to other people. So how is it that when a first-time guest comes in today, how do, you, how do they feel? They feel welcome? I mean, outside of thinking that I'm hilarious, like, like how do they feel, right? As a joke, and none of you got it, or you're just like, I'm not edifying that joke. So we're willing to, and I want you to hear this, as a church, and this could be hard for some of you theologically, that we are willing to do anything short of sin to bring people into the fold of church. Anything short of sin. You know, I don't know why. That's what Paul did. That's what the disciples did. That's what Jesus did. Anything short of sin. Hey, I want to introduce you to this guy named Jesus. I know that you're a prostitute. That's okay. Come hang out with him. Anything short of sin. And so because of that, and our, and our dedication to fighting mediocrity at, at, at every turn, we want to do our best then from first-time guests. Man, guess what? We want to keep them here. So we want to turn them into regular attenders, right? What a, what a thought that this discipleship process would start with first-time guests and move to regular attenders. It's the next slide. You can go to the next slide for me. Regular attenders. We want our kids' programs to be top-notch, right? We want our, our students' programs to be fun and engaging and, and every opportunity that they have. We want our coffee to be hot. We want our donuts to be full of sugar. Like, we want people to want to come back here after their first time. But if all we are is a social club that offers kind of fun programs to hang out with and mediocre coffee, like, that's not going to be enough. And so the other side of that, the other side of us wanting to be as excellent as we can possibly be is you have to have substance. We have to have substance here. We want the hope of the world, the word of God, the prayer, and the edification of the saints to be so countercultural that the donuts would just be a nice little dessert on top of everything else that we do here because the hope of the world would be found within these walls. And as people... As these people become kind of bought into Jesus and these people become bought into what our church has to offer, we want to keep moving them around this wheel. And so here's this next one's going to blow your mind, okay? The next thing that we want to do after you become a regular attender is we want you to join a small group. What? <laughs> Crazy, right? Like if you've been here for any amount of time, you're just like, oh, yeah, it's going to be small groups next. I know what's next, Okay. Because we recognize that, hey, I'm not the best pastor in the world. I know that. I'm okay with that. Okay? We all know Kyle's not the best musician in the world. I hope you're joining us online, Kyle, this morning. Um, and then on top of that, Jeff, though he may argue with you, he's not the best connections pastor in the world either. He's great. We love him. But he's not the best. And so we recognize, like, our talent is not going to be what keeps people here. If that was true, all of you would have left when you guys were going to church online. You want to know why? Because it's just as easy, probably easier to find other famous pastors online churches than it is to join ours. Because the church at the end of the day isn't about talent. The church is about community. And so our small group specifically, as our church continues to grow and our church is, you know, it's, it's actually considered a large church based on new metrics that have come out since the pandemic. So as a church continues to grow, our community has to continue to get smaller. And so in our small groups, that's what we want to see happen. And so how does discipleship happen in the midst of small groups, though? Great question. So we have three different areas, four different areas, really, but three I'm going to talk about today of our small groups. And the first one's equipping groups. 
Some of you guys have been to our equipping groups. Equipping groups are six to nine week chunks, these classes, groups that we have. And they're, they're meant to just kind of fill a need. It's a felt need sort of, a, sort of thing. And so things like financial peace, right? Theology 101, marriage strengthening, parenting, apologetics, how to share the gospel, and so much more for three AC payments of 19, right? Like, like that's kind of, hey, if there's a felt need, we want you to start and tow the waters in that community. Maybe you're like, hey, I'm not going to commit to a small group, but hey, I could do six weeks. Sweet. Join an equipping group, something that you feel like you need in your life. And then after that, we have small groups where the goal is life on life. We talk about the Bible. We talk about our lives. We do our best to encourage one another as iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another, support one another. And because we are Baptists, of course, we're going to eat together, right? Like that's what happens in the midst of small groups. And that's where discipleship happens with one another, and then I know some of you are like, well, small groups is great. It's life on life. But I really want to understand more. Like I want to do a deep dive. Or really, And some of you are wired to just want that education and that knowledge and all that stuff. And that's great. And so we've heard you. And so because of that, we're adding a new group. It's going to be called the Covenant Group. And the intention of Covenant Group is not for everybody. If 300 people showed up there, we're doing it wrong. Okay? A win for us would be four people to join this group. And we just want to do a big old cannonball into a pool of theology and just be like, hey, look, this is, we are going to do our best to do a really, really deep dive about what it is, what, like, what we think the most important parts for you to understand of your theology is and go deeply into it and discuss words like pneumatology and that sort of thing. And some of you guys are going to look it up. It starts with a P. But that's what we want to do. And so, so Jeff is going to explain a ton more about small groups next week, okay? So be here next week because Jeff is going to get into all of these different things, including a deeper dive into what a covenant group is going to look like. And so after small groups, like a lot of you are like, yeah, a lot of you would stop at regular attender or maybe you're a member here and you're not there, but some of you have like, yeah, small groups, that's a great idea. Actually, when we launched small groups, we had like 82% of our congregation had signed up in small groups, okay, which was awesome. But you're like, okay, what would come after small groups? Service. We think disciples serve people. We think disciples know that their life is not their own. Their time is not their own. Their resources are not their own. And so because of that, man, we want to provide service opportunities for you guys. I know there's some of you sitting in here today who are frustrated with the state of your faith. I know that because all of us go through it at some point or another. You think, oh, I need to read my Bible, but it feels like a chore. Uh, I have to go to small group, but it feels like pulling teeth or whatever it may look like. And you're just frustrated. You feel like, man, I can't connect with God. I can't, I don't know what it is that I'm supposed to do here. Can I just say, if you're not serving, try that. Try getting out of your own way. Try actually giving back to other people as you get filled up to fill up other people's cups Right? The, the most famous example of this is the Dead Sea. Most of you have probably heard this. The Dead Sea, you know what it's called? Dead and nothing can grow there because there's no outlet. You know that? Like water and minerals and all this stuff flows in there and it calcifies and it's salt. And you feel pretty great about yourself because you're floating or terrible. I'm never sure which way you're supposed to feel about floating in the Dead Sea. That being said, all of this stuff gets in and it comes in over and man, all of this silt and, and minerals and all this stuff comes in and it all just sits there and there's no life there and it's dead there because there's no outlet for it. There's no, no way for it to flow out. And so in the same way in your Christian walk, so often, man, you're getting all of these things in Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights and small groups and books and theology and all of these different things. And it's great. And man, but still, even though you're learning all this stuff, you just kind of feel like dead. Like, what's happening? Can I just suggest that maybe it's because you don't have an outlet in your life to pour that water out into other people? And so we have three different areas where you can serve. We have serve the church. Welcome. Right? And I know some of you are like, you probably don't have a spot for me to serve. Oh, we have a place for you to serve. I promise. Okay? Whether it is you like holding kids 
God bless you. Like, go hold kids and hang out with kids and tell them about the gospel. Maybe some of you guys are like, all I can offer is a firm handshake and a nod. Great. We got a spot for you at the door, right? Like, maybe, maybe you love to cook. Great. We have shut-ins that would love baked goods. I don't know what it is that you have been gifted by the Spirit, but there's a spot for you to serve in the church. And can I tell you that our need is greater now than it's ever been? So if you're stuck at small groups or if you're stuck as a regular attender, figure out where you can serve. It's on our website. Go to next steps on our website and it clicks serve. And you can fill out a little thing and we'll get back to you within two days, I promise. But beyond just serving the church, we have another opportunity that we've had going for a long time, but really we tried to start focusing on this year was serve the community. We wanted to serve the community the best of our ability. So every single month, we've had opportunities for you to serve people in Kings County. And some of them look different than others. Some of them was like the one we had two weeks ago. Man, we just had a, a blood mobile pull up, which sounds a lot cooler than it actually is. But a blood mobile pull up right outside. And, you know, we had 10% of our congregation that day go out and try to give blood. That was awesome. They were over the moon ecstatic with our response as a church going out there and giving blood. It was great. It's a very easy, simple way to be able to, to serve our community. There's other instances that we did in the midst of the pandemic. We just bought lunch for an entire school. We thought, hey, Pioneer Elementary is close. Can we buy lunch for every single teacher, administrator, janitor, whoever it was that was on campus that day? And we just brought it over to them and served them and said, hey, we're from First Baptist. Thank you so much for what we're doing. We love you. Jesus loves you. Here you go. That was it, but it required our time and our effort and our resources to be able to say yes to go and do it. And then maybe you've done those things. You continue to do those things. You're like, hey, what? Man, I just feel like I could serve more. We have an opportunity for you to serve the world as well. Jeff, like I said, he takes teams overseas. He takes teams across borders. I think really he just likes traveling, but regardless, he takes the team, so we won't say anything about it. But Jeff already has dates set up for 2022. He's ready to go. And he's looking for teammates to join him in serving the world in a very real way. So I know a lot of you, like your schedule's getting in the way. Oh, I can't take time off work. It's too close. I didn't know about it. Guess what? We're over a year out. You can get time off work. Talk to Jeff. He'd love to take you, take you with him. And so once we get to this point where you're serving, you're in a small group, you're attending regularly, hopefully you're a member of our church at that point, we think to ourselves, hey, okay, people are bought into the church, people are bought into Jesus, what is it then that we should expect disciples to do at that point? And at that point, I would venture to say, we would expect the disciples to talk to other people about who Jesus is. This is your oikos, that's your next slide. Your oikos. You think we were getting through this wheel without talking about oikos? Come on, y'all. Right? So we think, hey, we're bought in. You love Jesus. And so you should tell other people about who Jesus is. If you don't know what oikos is, oikos is a Greek word that means household. It means the people under your care, essentially, is the way in which we use it. And so we would say, hey, we believe that God is both supernaturally and strategically placed, eight to 15 people in your life, to impact for the kingdom of God. I can't reach them. They won't talk to me, at least like a normal human being. When they find out I'm a pastor, they'll button up so tight, they won't say anything. Right, But you guys sit next to them in your cubicles. You ride along with them in your squad car. They're your aides in your classrooms. They're the nurses. They're whoever it may be. You have contact with them, and I don't. Our church doesn't. They see me as a professional Christian, right? And so because of that, you have that opportunity. So we would say oikos is next. But, but because of the fact that it's oikos, man, church can be a scary place sometimes, especially for people who haven't been in a long time or people who have never been. Right? What is oikos? What is it? What, what, like, I, what, what about Sunday morning? Like, what do they expect me to do? Do I stand? Do I sit? Like, I get it. You guys know how to navigate this place. People who haven't been in church in a long time or ever don't. And it's intimidating. So what we want to do is provide, and this is the next slide, outreach events for people. Very easy on-ramps for people to experience the church in a very, very real way. Okay? Things like that we already do, right? Like our fall carnival, Pre-pandemic, we had like 750-something people join us at the fall carnival. They were on our campus, and we expected nothing of them expect to, except for them to open their bags and for us to dump as much candy as we could into those bags. That's all we wanted to do. Hey, welcome to church. Jesus loves you. Here's a ton of candy, right? I don't know how you could do better outreach than that, as a matter of fact, right? But, but our fall carnival... Things like our, our senior adult luncheons that we were having once a month. 
that we would love to get back going. We would love to get those things started again. But senior adult luncheons, things like VBS, things like Summerfest, right? Even last year when you guys were all like, you know, when, when we were all separated from each other, we even did a scavenger hunt all throughout Hanford. We're like, hey, you know what would be fun? Let's just put families in a car together for an hour and make them solve riddles to see how long it is they'll participate, right? That's fun family dynamics come out then. Dads weren't stressed or white knuckling at the end of that thing, I promise. Okay, but just really easy events for people to be able to come to that they wouldn't normally come to church, but hey, I'll come for free candy. Hey, I'll come for, for VBS. Hey, I'll come for Summerfest. You guys are going to the beach? Awesome. I'll go to the beach with you guys. Right? We want to provide those things. And so from an outreach event, they have an opportunity to meet people, to recognize that, yeah, we may be weird, but we're not that scary. Hey, come be a first-time guest with us. And the circle goes round and round and round and round and round. And I'm not naive enough to believe that, like, this is perfect. I haven't solved discipleship with this circle and uh, six words. Haven't done it. And if I did, I should probably write a book about it. We'll see how well it works, okay? We'll get out of debt real fast, real fast church. I haven't solved it. But you know what I have done is I've, I, I've created a way. We have created a way to be able to say, hey, look, where are you in your process? Where are you in your discipleship journey? Great, you're a regular attender. We would love for you to get plugged into a small group. But you know what? It doesn't have to work that way. You're a regular attender. You don't like people? All right, well, serve. We got a place for you to mop some stuff and no one has to talk to you. Right, whatever it is it looks like, like discipleship isn't a perfect circle. It never is. Discipleship is life on life as you encounter Jesus and you encounter other people and you become more holy as you walk through it. That's why we do this. We want you to be able to simply understand where it is that we're going as a church. And like I said, we're going to get into specifics next week. But what we need to understand today is that, that everything that we do as a church is going to be on this circle. Everything. And it's our church's responsibility. It's our responsibility as a staff, people in leadership, that sort of thing, to be able to provide movement from one spot to the next. You guys want to know why we have donuts? We want you to come back. I'm not going to hide it. Like, you guys probably figured it out already anyway. Like, hey, show up. We'll give you a free donut and some mediocre coffee. Okay, I'm in, right? Or if you're a first-time guest today, we gave you a mug with our logo in it. We know you have no context for us, but now you have to look at that mug in your cupboard. Right? Like, we want you to come back. That's our goal. And so we want to provide those pathways. Or if you're a regular attender, we provide opportunities for you to sign up for small groups. Our website is geared towards small groups. You can sign up for a small group anytime throughout the year if you want to. Like, we want to provide those avenues for you. If you're in small groups, man, we make it easy for you to serve. If you're serving, man, hey, we're going to make it easy for you to remember who your Oikos is. Here's an Oikos card right outside if you don't have one. Write down your 8 to 15 people. Like, that is our goal, is to progress people from people who have no context for who Jesus is to fully fledged disciples in Christ and I'm not going to apologize for it this is where we're going and if you have an idea and it doesn't fit up here that doesn't mean it's a bad idea it just means we can't be good at everything and so don't be offended if we say no don't be offended if we say hey that's great what if we do this though and tweak it or whatever it, whatever it is that we may do but just know that we saw this as the simplest, easiest way to say, hey, look, if you want to become a disciple, this is where we think the track is headed for us over and over and over again. And I know what you're thinking. It's overly simplistic, and it's not earth-shattering. <laughs> Good. It's not supposed to be, because the gospel is not complex, Becoming a, a, a disciple is not complex. Actually, everything that has to do with becoming a disciple is simple. But hear me, never confuse the idea of simplicity with the idea of easy, because they're different, vastly different. Actually, in order for something to be simple, it requires a whole, a whole lot more work. You will never find an instance, ever, where some sort of system moves from complexity to simplicity on its own. It always moves from simplicity to complexity. Always. Unless you decide that it's not going to and put the work in to be able to do it. Whether that's the gospel 
whether that's a discipleship circle, whether that's the chores that you swear you're going to get your kids to do. It always moves from simplicity to complexity. So church, this morning, we need to not just embrace the ideology of the church. We need to embody it. You guys know this stuff. You're not dumb. It's not an education issue. It's an obedience issue. There's no time left for pleasantries. With the state that our world is in, there's no time left. And so I wanted to give this to you guys so you guys knew. This is what's expected. You want to know how to become a disciple here? That's what we're shooting at. That's it. It's simple. It's not overly complex. But the simpler it is for us to be able to hit, the more easily that we feel like we can articulate the gospel to other people. It's time to make disciples so we can make more disciples, so we can make more disciples and change the heartbeat of Kings County to to beat in the rhythm for Jesus and no one else. Church, it's time to embrace and embody the gospel and the message of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for for even embracing the same theology as one another, which is why so many of us continue to call this church their home. It's because we agree theologically. Thank you for that. But Father, I pray that we wouldn't just embrace theology, but that we would embody it that we would be willing to to move forward with it, to to be obedient to it, because the church doesn't have an education problem. We have an obedience problem, Father. So God, I pray today that even as we go from this place, we could think about that circle. We could think about where it is that maybe we each land on that circle and where my next step of progress should be. And God, we know that it's messy and we know it doesn't always look perfectly circular or anything like that. But God, I just pray that you would make ourselves aware of where we're at, our, our own state of our faith, and that we would be able to progress from there to become closer to you. And Father, if there's those here who maybe have not said yes to you for the first time, people who are like, hey, I want to get on board with this. I want to live for Jesus, I want to become a disciple. I want to embody, embody what it means to be a believer. Not just, I agree with the theology, but I also want to embody it. I want to move on this. If that's you today and you've never said yes to Jesus, you can pray along with me and simply say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. That I've fallen short of your glory. And B, I believe that you sent your son to die on a cross for me. And at sea, I would choose to follow him every single day. That I would embody his commands to love God, to love people, and to serve the world. Thank you for your son, Father. It's in his name we pray. Amen.